0: Sometimes, there is a significant difference between what we experience in our lives and what we have a right to expect. For example, when you go out to eat with your family uh, to a restaurant and you order food, you expect, and you should expect, that you will have to pay for it at the end of the night. But one night... You might ask for the check, and the waiter tell you, oh, this kind person in the restaurant already picked up the bill for you. That's not at all what you expected, but that's a wonderful experience. But what if you experienced that, and the next time you went out to eat, you didn't ask for the check. You expected somebody else to pay for it for you. Well, that wouldn't make any sense, right? Just because that was your experience that one time doesn't mean you should expect that to happen every time. Well, our experience as Christians living in the United States and particularly in the southern part of the United States has been and in many ways continues to be exceptional. What most of us have experienced in terms of our Christian life is not what Jesus taught us to expect. What I mean is that Jesus taught us to expect hatred, opposition, persecution, hardship as a result of following Christ. And while we may have experienced some of that in some fairly mild forms, most of us have not experience any significant hardship or opposition as a result of our faith, or at least not the kind that we want to compare to what our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world experience on a regular basis, where they know coming to church could mean ending up in jail at the end of the day, where they know their faith in Christ could cost them their life. The disciples themselves, as after Jesus' resurrection, when they began uh, preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, they ended up in prison. They were beaten. They could have had their lives taken. And in at least one instance early on in the history of the church, they did. Our experience has been exceptional, and we should be grateful for that. Somebody pays the check for you, you don't complain. Right? You give thanks. You rejoice. That's a great experience. We, don't, we should not feel bad about the fact that we've had an exceptional experience here. But we also have no right to expect that experience to continue. Now, please don't misunderstand, I'm not prophesying about where things are headed in our country, because I have no idea. Where it looks like things are headed today may not be where it looks like things are headed tomorrow. God can surprise us. All kinds of things can happen. I'm not making any predictions. What I'm saying would have been true 70 years ago, 50 years ago, 30 years ago. It's true today. What I'm saying is this. We have no right to expect to have a relatively easy time Living the Christian life. Paul said in our scripture reading earlier from 2 Timothy 3 that everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to experience persecution. At some level, right? He doesn't say to what extent, to what extreme, not everybody's going to experience the kind of persecution that Paul did. Paul ended up paying with his life, he was imprisoned on more than one occasion. He's not saying that. That is going to happen to everybody. But everybody going to experience some kind of opposition, some type, some type of persecution, and it is entirely possible that the exceptional experience that we've had will one day come to an end. And what I'm saying is, if and when that happens, we will have no right to complain. We will have no right to say, it shouldn't be this way. Because that is exactly the kind of experience that Jesus told us we have a right to expect if we have signed up to follow him. And Jesus makes that very clear to his disciples in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. That's where we're going to uh, be focusing this morning, verse 18, down into chapter 16, verse 4. Or Jesus is preparing his disciples for the opposition that they are going to face after his departure. And what he tells them to expect is also what we have a right to expect. So here's what he says beginning in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus is telling his disciples here, beginning in verse 18, what servants of Christ can expect, should expect, To experience. And there are two things about what is soon to happen that help reinforce what Jesus is saying here. The things that Jesus is telling to his disciples are about to be reinforced in a matter of moments, perhaps hours at the most, when Jesus will be betrayed by Judas and arrested. Overnight will face false accusation, trumped up charges, and be mocked, beaten, and eventually the next day killed, crucified, on a cross. When he tells his disciples, here's what you can expect for following me, they're going to get a living illustration shortly thereafter. And not only that, But when that opposition comes, when Judas comes leading a band of soldiers to arrest Jesus, Jesus is not going to resist. And when Peter tries to resist, Jesus is not going to allow him to do so either. He is going to insist that his disciples do not take up arms in his defense. He tells them, what to expect and he models for them a willingness to endure it as hard and as painful as it was for him and as it will be for them. What he tells them in verse 18 is that they can expect the world to hate them, right? And what he means by the world is not everybody on the planet, what he means by the world is those who do not know God. Right? He clarifies in verse 21. He says, All these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know Him who sent me. In other words, the people who are opposing you are those who don't truly know God. Now some of them will think that they do and claim that they do. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there are people who don't really know God. They don't really know God. Christ, And those are the people who make up the world that Jesus is talking about here. The world are those who stand in direct opposition to God and to his people. That's who he's talking about. And he says, those people, that world, is going to hate you. But here's what you need to know. Before they hated you, they hated me. So this should not take you by surprise. You know where this is coming from. You had a reason to expect it. I'm telling you now to expect it. This is what you signed up for. This is a result not only of who you are, but who I have made you to be. Right, Verse 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you thought and believed and acted like they did, they wouldn't bother you. The reason they bother you, right? the reason they act the way that they do towards you, is is this. He says, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says, the reason why you are going to experience this hatred and opposition from the world is because I chose you out of the world. Each of these disciples were handpicked by Jesus called by Him to follow Him, appointed by Him as His apostles, His ambassadors, His authorized messengers to the world. And because of that, because of their relationship to Him, they experience this opposition, this hatred from the world. But that's not true only of those disciples, it's also true of everyone who belongs to Christ. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 4, He chose us in Him. That is, God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. It's not just the original apostles who were chosen by God, but everyone who belongs to Christ, everyone who believes in Christ, was chosen by God to be His. He has set us apart. He has saved us. He has changed us. He has made us His. And as a result of belonging to Him, we are no longer a part of the world that doesn't know Him. And so that part of the world that doesn't know Him opposes those who belong to Him. That's just the way that it is. That's what Jesus said would happen. That's how He told us it would be. He tells us in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you. And this, this to me is the sort of the, the fundamental way of expressing what Jesus is saying here. Remember the word that I said to you, he says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In other words, if you signed up to follow somebody who was hated and opposed, people tried to get rid of, they wanted to arrest him, they wanted to kill him, eventually they succeeded, they did arrest him, they did put him to death. If you say, I belong to him, I've been baptized in his name, I I follow that Jesus, he's Savior, he's Lord, I belong to him. Do you really think, do you have any right to expect that the same kind of people who killed him won't also hate you. Why would you think it would be any different? That's what Jesus is saying. A servant is not greater than his master. Jesus is the master. He was persecuted, opposed, hated, and killed. As his servants, as his followers, we should expect the same kind of thing. That's what we signed up for. That's the kind of person... We followed a person who the world hated so much they wanted to get rid of him. We shouldn't be surprised if they hate us too. But there will be others who don't hate us, right? He also says in verse 20, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In other words, there will be other people like you who listen to me, who receive my word, who follow me, and they will follow you also. As the apostles go out and preach the word, there are going to be those who don't hate and oppose them but believe what they say just as they believe Jesus and will follow them so it's not absolute, they're not by themselves, there'll be others right, where there's billions of people who claim the name of Jesus, we're not alone but we are in the minority and that's what Jesus taught us to expect a little bit later he gives them some specifics, instead of just sort of a A broad idea. They're going to hate you. They're going to oppose you. They might even kill you. He gives some specifics in chapter 16, verse 2. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Now the synagogues of course were essentially the the churches of the Jewish people. That's where they went to worship, to hear the scriptures, to gather together. And this was already happening during Jesus' ministry. Back in the Gospel of John chapter 9, you might remember The man who was born blind, who Jesus healed, right? And and not everybody believed that he had been healed at first, and they were trying to figure out what was happening. They're questioning all these people. And one of the uh, sets of people they questioned were the man's parents. And the man's parents were reluctant to say much of anything About what had happened to their son. They affirmed it was their son, affirmed he had been born blind, affirmed he had been healed. But when it came to how that happened, they clammed up. And John tells us why. He says his parents said these things. They said, you know, our son's of age, you can ask him about these things. John says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, to be the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And it already started during Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is telling his disciples, that's not going to stop just because I leave. After my death and resurrection, that's going to continue. They're going to kick you out, ostracize you, refuse to listen to you, Not only that, he says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. What's amazing about that statement is not simply that there will be people who think they can honor God by killing Christians, but that one of the most famous missionaries and preachers of the gospel in the history of the world started out, thinking he was serving God by persecuting Christians, the Apostle Paul. That's what he was doing when he met Jesus. He was on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians because he was convinced that those who were following Jesus were dishonoring God. He did not think Jesus was the Messiah, and he thought he was serving God by hunting down Christians until he met Jesus. Jesus and realized that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior. And he began not to persecute, but to preach, and to proclaim Jesus, and to build churches. But Jesus warns them, there's even going to be some who think they are honoring me by killing you. That's how bad it's going to be. That's how serious this is. And Jesus tells them, why he's telling them all this? You might think, man, this is, this is heavy, right? Why does Jesus tell them all this? Why lay this on them right before he leaves? He's already talked about how troubled their hearts are and trying to encourage them. and, and Why lay this on them now? Well, he tells them in chapter 16, verse 1. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. I'm telling you this now because I don't want this to turn you away from me when it happens. I don't want you to say one day, you know what? I didn't sign up to be put in jail. I didn't sign up to be kicked out of every synagogue where I tried to talk about Jesus. I didn't sign up to have all these people hating me and hounding me and harassing me. I didn't sign up for that. I'm done. Jesus says, I'm telling you now, that's what you did sign up for. So that when it happens, you don't quit. You don't walk away. Again, in verse 4 of chapter 16, he says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I'm telling you these things, so that when it happens, you go, you know, Jesus warned us about this. We have no reason to be surprised. We had no right to expect anything different. We can't shake our fist and say, you didn't warn us. You didn't tell us it was going to be like this. No, he did. He did tell us. He did warn us. He did prepare us so that when it happens, we're not caught by surprise. Now, what about the people who are doing the hating and the opposing and the Persecuting and trying to kill. What is going on there? What does Jesus have to say about them? We'll look back at verse 22 in chapter 15. He says about those who oppose and persecute and so on. He says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now there's a couple things in there that will make you scratch your head the first time you read it. No sin? They, they would not have been guilty of sin if Jesus hadn't come? What, is that? what does that mean? That they've never sinned before? I can't be mad. The Bible is very clear, right? That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none who is righteous, no, not one. Jesus is not saying... That until he came, these people had never sinned. What he's saying is, the sin that is now at the root of their guilt, which is their opposition to and hatred of Jesus, they would not have had that sin if Jesus had not come, but now that he has come, they have no excuse for rejecting not only Jesus, but rejecting God Himself. Jesus is saying something very similar to what Paul says about all people in Romans chapter 1, when he says that in the creation, God has made Himself known. He's revealed Himself. right Through the things that have been made, everyone knows that there's a God. So nobody has an excuse, Paul says, for refusing or failing to worship Him, to give thanks to Him. Nobody has an excuse for turning to you know, images of animals and people and worshipping those things instead of worshipping the Creator. Nobody has an excuse for that because no one is ignorant of the existence of God who created everything. No excuse. Jesus is now saying, for those who have seen and heard Him, who've been witnesses of His ministry... They've seen his miracles, they've heard his teaching, they've observed his life. For those who have witnessed that revelation, they have zero excuse for refusing to worship and honor and follow Jesus. No excuse. That's what he's saying. They have no excuse for that sin. In fact, he goes on to say, that they have even more to give an account for than some of the most notorious sinners in the history of the world. Look at verse 24. He says, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father." All right, so Jesus says, I, I've done things in front of these people that no one else has done. Undeniable miracles. More miracles than any of the prophets ever did. And because of that, right, they now have guilt resting on their shoulders for hating me and my Father because of what they have seen. Now they're not the first people to shake their fist at God. And oppose him. In fact Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew chapter 11. uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Because they did not repent. He's talking about the same kind of thing he's talking about here in John. These places around Israel where Jesus had done all these miracles. But the majority of the people there had not believed. They would not repented. They would not followed Jesus. And here's what he says about those places. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Now, that's not a city most of us are familiar with, right? But that's one of the cities where Jesus did his miracles. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. And those are Gentile, pagan cities outside of Israel. If the works I did in you, cities of Israel, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. You cities of Israel, you will have worse judgment, greater guilt, greater condemnation than those pagan cities you scowl at. Because you had me, and they didn't. You had me and you refuse to listen, and you refuse to repent, so your judgment will be great. Not only that, he goes on and he says, And you, Capernaum, and that's one you've probably heard of. That's where um, Peter lived, I believe. You, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, That's what I'm talking about, one of the most notoriously wicked cities in the history of the world. If the mighty works done in you, Capernaum, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, meaning it would have repented and God would not have destroyed it. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Sodom's judgment will be lighter than Capernaum's. That's what Jesus says. That's the same kind of thing he's talking about here in John 15. These people, he says, who have been witness to my ministry, who have seen the works that I've done, who've heard the things that I've said, yet have insisted on hating and opposing me, they now have no excuse for their sin, they have no recourse for their guilt, if they won't turn to me and repent, they will experience God's judgment. In fact, he says in verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. And the reason why he says that is so that the the Jews who witnessed Jesus' ministry can't say, oh, we honor God, we just don't honor you, Jesus. Jesus says, if you can say that, you don't know who I am and you don't know who God is. Because I am the Son of God, come to reveal God to you. I'm God in the flesh, sent by my Father. If you reject me, you reject my Father. If you hate me, you hate my Father. If you say you don't know me, you don't know who my Father is either. There is no separation in that sense between the Father and the Son. You cannot have one without the other. You can't reject one and receive the other. It doesn't work that way. And yet, Jesus says in verse 25, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. This was predicted, it's prophesied, it's a pattern we see all throughout the Bible, and it reaches its fulfillment in Jesus. How many people throughout the Scripture sought to faithfully follow God, and as a result, were hated, opposed, or even killed? What did Abel do wrong? Did Abel deserve to die? Did he give Cain a good reason to kill him? No. Cain was just mad. Because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and Cain's wasn't. What about Joseph? What did Joseph do to deserve to be thrown into a pit and sold as a slave? Nothing. Was he a little annoying and obnoxious, okay, yeah, probably shouldn't. Maybe he shouldn't have told his brothers that dream about where they were going to bow down to him one day. I mean, nobody wants to hear that. But he hadn't done anything wrong. Joseph's one of the few characters in the Bible we never really read of any particular sin that he committed. I mean, that doesn't mean he was sinless, but he was a righteous, godly man. His brothers hated him. Almost killed him. But decided to make some money off of him instead. And sold him as a slave. What about David? David had the chance to kill Saul and take the throne that God had already promised him. But he refused. While Saul mercilessly hunted him. Tried to kill him. Tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. Most people would think, okay, that's probably enough. I could, I could get back at him at that point, right? David refused. Saul tried to kill him. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example because he was truly sinless. He was absolutely perfect. He literally never hurt anyone. And yet he was so shamefully treated. Beaten, mocked, betrayed, put to death. Filling up the pattern. That's the way it's always been. And Jesus says, it's not going to stop just because they did it to me. It's going to keep being that way. It's going to continue until the end. Those who follow me, those who seek to live a godly life, they're going to be persecuted. You just need to expect it. But the good news is, you're going to have help. Verse 26 and 27. But when the helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You're not going to be alone. You're going to have the Holy Spirit who's going to be with you. The Spirit himself is going to bear witness about me. The Spirit is going to convict people and bring them to the truth. More people are going to follow me. You're not going to be alone. You're not going to be alone because the Spirit is going to be with you. You're not going to be alone because the Spirit is going to bring more people to trust in me. Your numbers are going to grow. And then he says, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. It's not going to be easy and you're going to face opposition, but you are going to tell people about me. You are going to bear witness about me. In fact, Jesus will tell them later in uh, the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Spirit is going to empower you, enable you, equip you, strengthen you to help you as you proclaim the good news about me. As you tell people about my death and my resurrection, that it was God's plan, that it was God's provision for our salvation, that I died on the cross to pay for sin, and that everyone who believes in me, as Peter will say later, all the prophets say, whoever believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins in his name. That's what you're going to bear witness to. You're going to be empowered by the Spirit to make that truth known. But you just need to know that as you do that, the world may be hostile. The world may oppose you. But our calling is not to change until the world likes us. It's not to complain Until they go along with us, our calling is to bear witness to the one who has saved us. Let's pray. Excuse me.